podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Some of the topics are addiction, fear, faith, self-compassion, relationships, codependency, emotional intelligence, and more. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. about challenging the status quo of our workplace relationships? And how about not just the workplace status quo, but rather all our relationships? In this episode, Sylvia Lafayette will explore the hidden emotional mechanisms in the workplace and the discovery of why people respond the way they do. There is a pattern, or rather, a series of patterns that underline behavior. It has been the missing link in understanding the core of office politics, absenteeism, lawsuits, and poor productivity. The idea is to gain understanding of a workplace relationships through some key observations and practices. The goal is to achieve levels of success and satisfaction we never dreamed possible. This statement has been paraphrased based on the information found on ceoptions.com. My conversation today is with Sylvia Lafayette about creative energy, behavior patterns, and transformation. Sylvia is an author, executive coach, and a speaker. She's the president of Creative Energy Options, a global consulting firm. It has been named the top 30 global leadership gurus in 2016, 17, 18, and 19. Sylvia's Total Leadership Connections program is in the top 10 on HR.com for the last seven years. Her focus on people's skills takes her to companies such as Microsoft, as well as family firms and entrepreneurial businesses. Sylvia Lafayette is an award-winning author. She has written Don't Bring It to Work, Gutsy, How Women Leaders Make Change, and Unique, How Story Sparks Diversity, Inclusion, and Engagement. Here is the interview with Sylvia Lafayette. In your own words, who is Sylvia Lafayette? Well, in my own words, I am a gutsy 
a gutsy gal who likes to see positive change happen and I'm not afraid of barreling through the naysayers to get to the yeses. So I'm kind of a tenacious bulldog type person. <laughs> <laughs> That's cute. Thank you. What is your personal story that gave rise to the passion to do what you do, Sylvia? Well, it's a, initially a sad story that has a you know, more positive outcome. Uh, when I was 14, my father died suddenly of a heart attack. And um, one day we were, my parents had gone out to dinner and the next day we were planning a funeral mm. and it shook up everything. But what I heard from my 14 year old ears in the background was it was stress, stress at work, stress did it. And I began to see work as the enemy of living. Mm. So I was I was never going to go work for a company. I didn't know what I was going to do, but then I found as time went on that psychology, I needed to understand what happened. Right. I mean, our family fell apart. I have an older brother who's a physician, just the two of us, and I began to observe, which is one of the key things we teach is how to observe behavior. Uh, but I began to observe all the things that came from that sudden trauma. And I would say that it created for me post-traumatic syndrome. Back in those days, we didn't even have that language. We have it now, which is good. Right. So, you know, a sad thing like my father's death uh, pushed me to begin to explore how does stress impact us and how do we do things differently so we can live a fuller, more active life. Right, right. I'm curious about some of the things you have learned from unconventional experiences, adventures. One of them is hiking in the Amazon. Well, that, that's an interesting one, uh, Valeria. We uh, used to take groups called Leadership in Action yeah. on trips to uh, unique places where things were very different. So we took groups and we hiked the Inca Trail into Machu Picchu, which mm. was a four day, uh, it wasn't a casual walk in the woods. It was, mm. it was a hike. And on day two, you walked up what they nicely called Dead Woman's Pass. And mm. all I can tell you is wow. getting to, to the end of that day and still being alive felt really good. And what I learned was that Uh, taking people out of the ordinary day. Most of the people we went with were not into camping and they weren't really pretty much not into really understanding other cultures. It, it's, it's, it's life changing to begin to see yourself when you're pushed to your limit in uh, new and different ways as hiking in uh, at the Amazon and going into the Amazon, being on the Amazon River and going into a village where the shaman we worked with mm -hmm. uh, uh, grew up and meeting the people that he, he lived with, you begin to broaden your idea of what, what makes us similar and what makes us different. Right. The good news is I want you to know we're more similar than we are different. We just have to begin to see it uh, for ourselves. True. What would you say is one of the first things we become aware of? when we are out of our normal realm, normal daily lives? 
Yeah, I think you begin to see the patterns, and which is kind of the mainstay of the work I do, the behavior patterns that we learned in our original organization, the family, mm-hmm. that show up in our present organization at work, but also we can call present family an organization too, that a lot of the things we learned when we were very little for security and survival, stay with us. They may not work well as we're now adults and we don't need to go hide under a table. Mm -hmm. So we become avoiders or we don't need to look at somebody and scream and yell, but we become drama queens and kings. And Mm -hmm. it's on these trips, you begin to, to see that the behavior that you've learned is there. People annoy us. We like certain people. We don't like certain people. Some people complain. Some people, you know, are able to climb these difficult road trips we took to climb these various mountains without complaining. Others complain the whole way. And when we would sit and process the information, you really could take it down to how they were trained and treated uh, as young people, as children. Right. What have you learned from bungee jumping in New Zealand? Um, <laughs> that it's a, it's a one-time <laughs> thing to do. <laughs> right. Yeah. I thought and so. It, yeah. It, it was fun. And um, uh, uh, people mm-hmm. have said, well, when are you going to jump out of an airplane? And I said, how about never? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was my time right. flying through the air with the bungee jumping. Hmm. What made you do that? Well, you know, we were in New Zealand. We were at this famous bridge. We were watching some people. And nobody died. It looked like fun. And I said, well, it's another experience. So there I was doing another experience. But I also learned that you don't have to experience every single thing you see. Mm, that's <laughs> so right. So once was enough for me with that. Yeah. Yes. What have you learned from the Buddhist teacher, Thich Nhat Hanh? Oh, that was very, very special. Um, we we spent time in the States with him. And then we went to Plum Village, which is in France. It, it was where his monastery is and spent time with him there. And then we were privileged to be part of a group. It was about 150 people total from around the world who went to China with Thich Nhat Hanh. Wow. And he, he is a very unique, special, gentle, amazing human being who has brought a lot of light to this world in terms of being steady, living what you believe, and not having to scream and yell and argue about things, but to ask good questions. It is very special for us. And anybody who's listening to this, Hmm. I suggest you look up Thich Nhat Hanh and get some of his books because he's also a poet and his writing is quite spectacular. Yes, yes. What would you say is the difference between satisfaction and happiness? That's a good one. I never thought of it that way before, Valeria. That's very good. I, I, I'm not sure. I think we may be splitting the, the, the words in, in, in the middle. Right. I think uh, happiness is being able to live a full life, the good, the bad, the beautiful, the ugly, 
and be able to come out of it seeing the world from a new place. I think that's what keeps us happy. Satisfaction is, my guess is, as we're talking, is a shorter term thing that happens. You know, you eat a good meal, you feel satisfied, but then you get hungry again and you have to eat more. And mm-hmm. sometimes it's good and sometimes it is, isn't. Right. But I do want to say that the pressure on us to be happy, I think, is not the healthiest way to go because happiness is all of it. And that's part of what I've learned, I think, from Thich Nhat Hanh and some of the other amazing teachers that we've worked with, that, you know, learning and growing is the core of of gentle happiness. And sometimes right. it's, it's a tap on the shoulder and sometimes it's a whack around the head, <laughs> but still be happy with it. Yes, um, I like that. What is creative energy? Ah, When we opened uh, our center, I'm in a a second marriage. And after my first marriage, my background, I have a PhD and um, uh, I was doing mostly family therapy. And then I got divorced and I thought, well, I've got to get out of the field. I can't keep my own family together. So I'm going to just go sell sweaters in a department store. I thought that was a lot lot simpler. And um, when I met my now husband, and we've been together for 35 years, so it's been a long time. When we were first together, he said, you're very talented. It's a shame. Can't you figure out how to take the skills you have and do something working with people? And I said, no. (laughs) <laughs> and he said, well, you're wrong. I said, oh, okay, so show me how I'm wrong. <laughs> and we started to do a program, and we began to look at the idea that creative energy is is what the world is formed of. And even in in uh, in, in the Bible, it talks about uh, dabhar, which it means creative energy. And we thought, God, that's so great because that's what what we're all about. We're all about creative and we're all about energy. And here's where it gets interesting. And we needed another word to sort of fill it in. And we got the word options. Mm -hmm. So it was creative energy options, which is CEO for short. Right. Never in those days thinking that we would be working. I, especially in the business world, because of the the sadness with my father and thinking, oh, I don't want anything to do with business. But creative energy options, CEO, uh, led to that very fateful time of changing careers. Hmm. It makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, we are energy and being creative with the energies that goes through us. It's very important. It's an important skill to have. And to know it, yeah. And to know it, right. Uh, first, you have to know it, right? Then um, learn how to use the, the energies. How can our experiences become behavior patterns that we live by without being aware of? Well, as, as little kids, you know, so much goes by us that we are semi-aware of, and it yeah. goes deep into... Uh, the nervous system, there's so much about neuropsychology now that is pretty spectacular. And we know that, you know, there are different areas of the brain that sort of hold old memories. The amygdala, which we have called Amy Hijack, <laughs> right. because, you know, I mean, 
you can have, as a little kid, you can have a dog barking at you and ready to bite your leg and your parent rushes and pulls you away and is afraid and don't go near that dog. And here you are, a grown person, and you see a dog starting to bark and you can hear everything or you feel everything in you begin to tense up. And there's, there's, this dog is fine and it's not going to bother you. But the memory of the old time as a little kid comes in and it's in our nervous system. So we need to, what we do is what we call it is the way out. And out stands for observe. Once you begin to observe your behavior, right. just observe it and say, oh, this has happened now two or three or four or ten times. I better pay attention to how I respond. Then you go to the you of out, which is understand. And you have to go back to the earlier times in your life where you've had similar reactions of fear or disappointment or Mm -hmm. disgust even, and begin to say, where did that come from? And then the T in out, so it's observe, understand, and the T stands for transform. Mm -hmm. And that's where you have to put in the hard work. It's the heavy lifting to change the patterns. But they they start when we're very little, and they can come from something like a dog barking. It can come from something, you know, much more intense than that. But um, that's what we have to begin to observe. Why do we keep responding to this situation in that way. And it was for protection and survival as a kid. Right. Why does it take so long for us to be aware of these patterns? Well, here's what's exciting, Valeria. I think uh, from the time I got my degree in psychology uh, till now, there have been so many new techniques that are available. EMDR, I know, are you familiar with EMDR? EMDR, no, I'm not. Oh, well, look it up. And everybody who's listening, it's good to look up. Mm. What it stands for doesn't explain it nicely, but it stands for eye movement, desensitization, and revitalization. That's a big lot of words wow. that say when you've had a trauma in your life, okay. you kind of inhale and you forget to exhale. And all the peripheral vision around you goes away because you're, you know, you're looking at the threat in front of you. And I don't want to go into a big detail about EMDR, but it's it's an amazing technique that I've used now for 20 years that help people quickly, quickly begin to see where the essential trauma started. I mean, for me, you know, my father's death was, you know, I mean, it was a big deal. You know, parents come back from dinner and at two o'clock in the morning, my father's in the throes of a heart attack and dies within an hour or so after that. So it certainly changed my life. But, you know, it's like these things will you. So you do you inhale and you forget to exhale. And that's why it's been taking so long. But there are processes like EMDR. There's uh, this process of breath work where, you know, and it's pretty popular now around the country where you lie down and you have a guide with you and you begin to almost hyperventilate, but it, it, it begins to help you go back to the early moments in your life where, you know, there's still a fear base and you can begin to release it that way. So there are quite a few 
different ways now of moving more quickly than talking for years and years and years. Right. You speak of the power of personal and cultural patterns. So my question is, how do we identify and differentiate these two types of patterns? Well, and, and sometimes you can, sometimes you can't, but you have to begin to look at, you know, what you learned in the family about, and in the family, which is our, as I said, our original organization, Yeah, we learn about fairness, we learn about favoritism, we learn about telling the truth or not. Right. We, we learn about all of those things that we bring with us through the rest of our lives. And in the cultural, we learn about all the uh, do's and don'ts that are permitted or not. And then the big thing, and I think this is where we are now collectively around the world, is we're starting to ask better questions. Hmm. We are not, I mean, the, the hashtag Me Too movement is, is a big one in terms of, wait a minute, why have women been treated this way and what changes need to happen now? But culturally, it's been, well, if that's the way it's always been, that's the way it's always going to be. And uh, I think as you begin to think through things, you say, wait a minute, this may have been needed or worked way back when, but it's not needed and it doesn't work now. But we're starting to, I believe we're starting to wake up. Yeah, um, I hope so. You also wrote that unresolved family patterns follow us to work and work stress become the enemy. So my question is, is there such a thing as healthy stress? Oh, sure. Yeah. Healthy stress. Healthy stress is... And before you're going to do a presentation, you feel your heartbeat a little bit and, you know, you kind of some people start to sweat a little bit yeah. and it kind of primes you uh, for getting on stage or, you know, being in front of a group or taking a test. It, it gives you some some extra energy. So there there is healthy stress. The kind of negative stress is the type that repeats and repeats and repeats, and it creates what I'm going to talk about now, the patterns that show up in how we respond to people. So yeah. if, if you grew up in a family where you were told you weren't good enough, often that kind of behavior creates the pattern of procrastination, and people don't want to resolve uh, or, or, or not only resolve, they don't want to bring their work forward because they're afraid they're going to be told it's not good. Mm -hmm. And so they keep holding back. Right. And that's the procrastinator. Or they feel like they're the victim and they've never been heard. So it's the, the, the pattern repetition. When you begin to observe your behavior, and I suggest to people that they take a notebook and start jotting down. What happens when you talk to your boss? Is it always he doesn't hear me or she doesn't hear me or I don't get any acknowledgement or, you know, how, how does that work out? And my theory is if it comes up more than three times, you're in the realm of a pattern and you better start looking at what happened when you were a kid 
because that does matter. I mean, we're still, you know, we've grown up, but we have all our nervous system from the time we're actually in utero till till we, you know, leave the planet is one fell swoop. It's it's the whole thing. So we need to look and see where have we gotten blocked and then begin this transformative process to unblock. Right. I've been hearing a lot about uh, trapped energy. Is that um, one of the methods that you use or used or recommend? Well, what I'm saying about the breath work, about EMDR, you know, these processes, I'm not into tapping. I know a lot of people feel that tapping process is pretty good. It's just not something that for me was that interesting, but uh, because I've had these other modalities that we've worked with. Yeah. And and I think, you know, there's music therapy, there's mm-hmm. art therapy, there's dance therapy. I mean, it's all there to help us begin to see where we've been stuck. Can we get unstuck? I couldn't have stayed in this field as long as I have if it wasn't watching people make major and positive changes. Right. Yeah. Before I ask you, what are some of the ways to transform outdated and deep-rooted patterns that can destroy our health and the joy of success? I'm going to ask you three questions, one of which is, what is to be healthy in your opinion? Hmm. That's good. That's a very good question. To be healthy, in my opinion, is to be able to change perspective on what is happening so you can see a route to new ways of of responding right healthy is being able to rethink it to um say okay there's got to be a better way and to find find the solution i mean that's what that's where creative energy comes in we're we're meant to think through things so that we can do better And, uh, you know, health, I've seen people who have been in wheelchairs who are healthier than people running marathons. Mm -hmm. So it's it's not about just, you know, the physical stamina. It's about a perspective on life as an adventure and and life uh, as a place to grow both professionally, personally, and also very much spiritually. Right. What is your definition of success? That's an interesting one. My husband and I were having an argument about this <laughs> one day, and we had done work with uh, one of the major orchestras in the country. Yeah. And uh, the, the people in this orchestra were pretty well known, and they were very successful yeah. playing in the orchestra, but they were the crabbiest group of people. <laughs> and they were going through some some issues around finances, and I was watching uh, you know, how different people responded to what was going on. And, um, you know, what What I found was that those who, as I just said, could say there has to be a better way were the yeah. ones who, who were really successful. And, you know, right. success on a generic celebrity status, you know, I mean, I've written some books, they've been They've gotten good play. I've been named one of the 30 top leadership, global leadership gurus. 
And Mm -hmm. it has a fleeting moment of patting myself on the back and saying, how cool. (laughs) But that's that's momentary. Success is more long-term looking at life from a a perspective of challenge and opportunity. Hmm. What is joy to you? For me, it's interesting. Joy is very much related to nature Hmm. and to beauty. And, um, you know, just sitting, watching an amazing sunset. We used to live in uh, Santa Fe in New Mexico. And for me, joy was rushing home at uh, sunset time just to sit on our back patio and watch these magnificent colors. You know, joy comes from appreciating other people having good things happen to them. And again, joy in its own way, success, happiness, it's all fleeting unless it's put into a larger context of uh, life is meant to be lived full time. I'm going to misquote what I'm saying, but if somebody once said, when I die, I want to slide into the earth. I want to slide into the earth with full energy. I just don't want to be, you know, put aside and then buried. (laughs) So it was just that sliding into the earth. It was like everything's an adventure. Right. Hmm. I like that. Adventure and um, having a meaningful life, living a meaningful life. So now answering that question, what are some of the ways to transform outdated and deep-rooted patterns that can destroy our health and the joy of success? Well, that's core. That is, you just hit the key to the work we've done. So I need to to tell it in a a little bit of a story so you understand it. We had, you know, this personal growth center and we were doing absolutely incredibly fun and amazing things and learning. And one evening we did a program for parents whose adolescent children were driving them nuts. So the room was pretty packed. (laughs) And at the end of the evening, a man walked over and I thought he was going to say something about his son or daughter. And he said, will you come work with my senior leadership team? And I said, why? And he said, they're fighting. I said, so what? So he said, but Sylvia, you work with people who have to get along, families, they have to get along. So I went in and started to work with his leadership team and I thought, this isn't really that different than working with families. It's it's the same kind of process of, of where is the fairness, the favoritism, the backbiting, all of those things that, you know, come into play when we're at work. And what I saw was the similarity between what I did when I worked with couples and families where they had a child who was having problems and the workplace where they were working together, but there was somebody who was creating a difficulty. And it always, always, almost always, I don't want to be that dramatic about it, but almost always goes back to earlier issues. And I believe that there is a lot of healing that comes from having the right kind of conversation with your parents. This is adult children with their aging parents. And nobody really wants to do this, Valeria. You know, it nobody. makes so much I mean, sense. Yeah, it makes yeah, sense. When I suggest it, what I get is people right. looking like they're sucking on a, a sour mint or something. 
Yeah. And, and so I have to do my work is to convince people that it may make a difference for them to tell the truth. And I want to say this here because this is important. Mm. Telling the truth is not spilling your guts. Mm. It's a disciplined art form. But talking mm. with your parents and finding out about what made them be the way they are often changes the perspective on how you you see them and the relationship. And then it changes everything, even in the workplace, because in the workplace, you know, uh, bosses are like parents, co-workers yeah. are like siblings. Yeah. You know, we get um, salaries, which are like allowances, and we even have a performance improvement plans, which are timeouts. So mm. <laughs> it's very much like, like a family. But I have found that going back and finding the uh, source of the angst is, is where the change can come about. Right. Why is the first step the hardest of all steps when it comes to life change and transformation? Well, listen, whatever we've done in our behavior yeah. has gotten us to still be alive at whatever age we are. Right. So there is kind of this thinking of don't change the model. Yeah. You know, there's that if it, if it ain't broke, you know, don't mess with it kind of thing. Yeah. On the other hand, we all have the patterns, the behavior patterns. I'll give you an example from me as I was learning this early on. And that is that, you know, with my father having died suddenly, and he certainly didn't ask my permission, he just sort of went, I found myself very um, careful in relationships with the guys I was dating uh, I needed to make sure they were super healthy mm -hmm. because I didn't want to have to go through that again. And obviously that's stupid because, you know, you can get hit by a car or whatever. Right. So it's not about that. But what what for me was really important was to begin to see that I was holding back because of my own fear. And with my now husband, we were having an argument one day, and we knew enough about each other's backgrounds, which is very important in, in being a couple, mm -hmm. not to hold back. But anyway, we were having an argument, and I got really mad, and I said, why don't you just leave? Why don't you just pack and leave? And he looked at me. He said, I'm not your father. I can stay, and we wow. can work it through. Right. And at that moment, I mean, I remember I started crying, and I wow. said, you're right. I realized I was operating on, I'm going to be disappointed, so I better push them out before they leave me. Yes, right. That was it. Wow. Yeah. How interesting, Sylvia. What is the pattern-aware process? Well, the pattern-aware process, it's, it's, it's to really break through the patterns and there are three steps to it. The, the first is, and in, in the book, the, the, the major book that I wrote, Don't Bring It to Work, yeah. the subtitle is Breaking the Family Patterns that Limit Success. So everything we're talking about kind of fits into this model of right. um, having to look at, are you afraid because you never could say anything as a kid? Or are you outspoken because you had to defend everybody in the family? Right. Or are you carrying a legacy from your family where people have been victims for generations and therefore out of loyalty, you stay in that place? So 
it becomes interesting to look at the three things I said. And first is observing, which is sort of seeing if you can be a fly on the wall or a bird in the sky, looking down to watch the behavior. And if it keeps repeating two or three times, four times, you have to begin to say, what role am I playing in this? And then once you become pattern aware, it is important to go back and find the earliest time. I mean, I was just I was just talking to somebody and she and her husband have a a business together and they're having some financial issues and she is very angry because she was blaming him. And I said, where do you think this issue of blaming started? And so she took a deep breath and we did a process. It's called the felt sense, F-E-L-T sense, S-E-N-S-E, where you put your hand on your body and you can feel the tension in your stomach or in your throat or in your heart or in your head, wherever you feel it. And you can go back and begin to see that what you're angry at may not be where the anger is really coming from. This was just a few days ago. And what she was able to see is that in her family growing up, her father had come into a huge amount of money and they were really doing the world on yachts and you know right. all over the place. And then he made some bad investments and they were they were in the dumps. Oh, no. And she she looked at her now husband afraid that he was going to do the same thing, even though he wasn't going down that route. Mm-hmm. And they had to talk about that. So in everything, awareness is the key. Right. And we have to that's the beginning of leadership is really beginning to be aware of why we do what we do the way we do it. And then say, I don't want to do it that way anymore. And mm-hmm. then begin the process of transformation. Makes sense? Makes a lot of sense. A lot of sense. Um, Yes. One of the quotes that you wrote reads, it is a combination of logic and intuition that gives life rich meaning and depth. My question is, how do we know the difference between intuition and fear? It's a great question. Uh, I think that's something that you work with your whole life. And, um, you know, the, 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 the beginning of this is you, you get a feeling and you want to follow it. And then the fear comes in that says, you're crazy. You can't do that. You know, this is impossible. And often because we have grown up where we have been protected or wanted our our families have wanted to keep us safe it's all for security and survival you know it it is about survival we hold back uh if if you keep getting tapped on the shoulder with the same thing begin to think maybe this isn't fear maybe it's intuition and then all i can suggest is taking the risk to do something and the worst case is it's not going to work out. I remember there was right. a period of time where we were doing a major project at work and it was going to cost a, a, a great deal more money than I would have liked to set this thing up. And I remember very blatantly, casually saying, oh, well, 
worst case that happens, um, I'll end up being a bag lady and then I'll have to move down south because I don't want to be a bag lady in cold weather. And things kept getting worse. Oh, and I went, oh my God, I don't want this to be a self-fulfilling prophecy. <laughs> right. So I right. had to say, was this intuition or was it fear? Yeah. And somewhere I had to work <laughs> through in the middle. The, the, the thing, Valeria, I yeah. would suggest for people, because I've had that and everybody, you know, that we work with, I mean, obviously we do coaching, executive coaching. I believe it's really good to have someone who is not in your family. <laughs> not a friend right. who can be able to help you look at some of these behaviors and say, okay, what do you plan to do about that? And give some guidance. Yeah. You know, you, do, you don't want to drive uh, on the Amalfi Coast. There are places there without guardrails and it right. can get pretty steep. So you want somebody <laughs> who knows what they're doing to help you through those times. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. So I was about to ask you, like, Sometimes intuition could also be self-deception, delusion, simply. We're just deluded about the consequence of what we are getting into. Well, there's a lot of pretending that goes on. And, you know, there is something that I've watched over the years called a spiritual bypass that um, is a little bit frustrating because there are a lot of people who just say, well, my guides told me or my intuition tells me. Yeah. And you say, well, but where, where's the structure? Where are the guardrails to have this happen? Oh, mm -hmm. you need guardrails? Yeah, you need guardrails. <laughs> you don't want to fall over the side of a hill. <laughs> and they haven't thought it through enough. So critical thinking mm -hmm. uh, is the logical part and intuition is the hard part. And um, it, it just takes time and practice to begin to see how they fit together. Right. But I say with a coach, you're going to move much more quickly, you know, and, and more effectively. Right. Somebody who is outside, yeah, who can see better, right? What is the sweet spot of cooperation and productivity? Well, the sweet spot is what all of us want. We all want to be heard. We all really want to be heard. We don't need to be agreed with, but we want to be heard. And that's the sweet spot. And for me, one of the main things we teach is about appropriateness of, of asking questions. And what I said earlier, which I want to underline, telling the truth is not spilling your guts. Now, I'll give you an example. I, yeah. was, I used to teach telling the truth is the sweet spot. In, in all relationships. And one day I was at a, a meeting, uh, I was facilitating, and the gal who was the director of the group, somebody said something and she turned to him and she said, that was really stupid. And I remember thinking, what you just said was really stupid. That's not a good thing to say to somebody in front of the whole group. Right. And But she wasn't going to be denied. And I tried to kind of look at her like, no, you know, you're going down the wrong path. But she was on it. And she said, and furthermore, a lot of the things you've said in the last few weeks have, have just not made any sense. And we're not going to do that. And I think you should be quiet. And the whole room, it was like, Wow. It just, the air just went out of the room. So I did what 
anybody who's listening to this who's a facilitator, the best thing you can do in those moments is say, let's take a break, (laughs) (laughs) which which Mm -hmm. we did. And I pulled her into the other room and I said, what are you thinking? And she said, but Sylvia, you teach telling the truth. I was just telling the truth. This is years ago. But at that moment, it was like, oh, I forgot (laughs) the rest of the sentence. Telling the truth is not spilling your guts. It's very disciplined. And you're always considering how you and who the other person or people are in the situation, uh, how they're going to react. So you don't sugarcoat, but you you don't go in with razors to cut somebody apart either. That's the sweet part is learning how to tell the truth and saying things like, it means a lot to me that you're really listening to me. You know, that kind of acknowledgement. And when you do begin to tell the truth Mm. without spilling your guts and really listening to what people are saying, uh, relationships begin to change at home, at work, everywhere more effectively. Mm, I like that, Sylvia. So, in a way, just being um, compassionate, kind. Yeah, I love that. And grateful. Things that I I love practicing, gratitude and compassion. So that Mm -hmm. makes communication so much easier. We are telling the truth easier to people we love or we care about. Well, I think, 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 Valeria, it's telling the truth, period. I think once we do that, we're seeing... One of the things that I've been pretty good about is not giving people pats on the back they don't deserve and waiting till they deserve it. So anybody who's ever Mm -hmm. worked with me or been through our Total Leadership Connections program um, or worked with any of our coaches comes back saying, you know, it was I needed to hear this. I didn't know Mm -hmm. that anybody was going to tell me the truth about whatever it is. Right. You know, yeah. for some somebody, for one guy, it was, you better start thinking about your hygiene. And he was a high-level executive. And I thought, am I going to be able to say that to him? <laughs> but it had to be said. Mm-hmm. And how grateful he was that I didn't hold back. True. Um, but one of the things that I am aware of these days is that a lot of people, they are not ready to change. And if they are not ready to hear the truth, they would just get angry. It doesn't matter how you say it. They won't listen, one, just ignore or get angry. And I feel like for the, with those people in my life, my family members, I use kindness a lot. Gratitude, kindness, compassion, the combination. And then they listen to me then. Even if they are not ready, they sort of listen and stay quiet. And just they, I can feel they're just kind of thinking about it. They may not say anything or do anything, but a seed was planted. Beautiful. That's beautiful. And that's, that's a good way to go. Let, yeah. let me just throw this in here. Yeah. In, in Don't Bring It to Work and in the book I wrote, Gutsy, How Women Leaders Make Change, and the other one, Unique, How Story Sparks Diversity, Inclusion, and Engagement, the, the core is that uh, I've come up with 13 of the most common behavior patterns that we learned in childhood. Again, I'm underlining it for security and survival right. that may have worked when you were two or five or 11, but they sure as heck aren't working when you're 35 or 42 or 70. <laughs> and, and, and the need to get 
to get out of that is so important. Uh, But the the patterns uh, can be transformed. And the 13 of them, you know, are, are really, really good. You know, it's like the super achiever who I call the me, me, me person, who always has to be first and best. It often comes out of having to have been the star in the family to make everybody else feel good about themselves. So somebody had to be the star. You see that with a lot of celebrities who, you know, needed to fill a void that was in the family system. But the super achiever, Uh, turns into a creative collaborator. Once they see that it's not about me, 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 it's about us. And as a leader, I can make change happen. That's a good one. And another one that I mentioned a little bit before is the avoider, which is very, very big in our culture here. Um, And that is to deflect it away, to pretend it away, to simply ignore it Mm. away. And it's it's the example there is that somebody, you know, says something and somebody else looks at their watch and says, oh, I forgot I have a meeting. I have to go. And yes. they're the heck out of there as fast as they can be. Yeah. You know, so it's and I'll tell you, this is a quick, just really quick, but it's kind of a funny story. So mm-hmm. I tended as I grew up to be a drama queen. I was the younger of two kids and right. my brother was kind of the star in the family. So if I wanted attention, I just had a hissy fit. Oh, and, no. um, you know, it was light camera action. There goes <laughs> Sylvia again. I, I, got, I got really good at it, I have to tell you. Oh, and no. so as an adult, I would use it. And there right. was a day, and it was funny, as we were starting to put these patterns together, where I was in a meeting in the morning, and somebody said something, and I was facilitating the meeting, and I kind of put my hand down on the desk a little harder than I needed to. And I said, stop, that's just ridiculous and blah, 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 blah. And I saw two people on the side and somebody said, oh God, she gets so dramatic. So I thought, oh, what do they know? So later in the day, I'm at another meeting and something else happens. And I knew not to slam my hand down on the table again. (laughs) But I put my hand in the air going, wait a minute, wait a minute. And I said, here's what's happening. And this isn't working and blah, blah, blah. And as I walked out, somebody said, oh, Sylvia, did you have to be so dramatic? And I Mm -hmm. thought, well, that's the second time today. But what do they know? Mm, And that evening, uh, my daughters were both in college at the time. One of my daughters called and she was telling me about something. And I got really annoyed. I said, oh, Julie, that's just ridiculous. Mm -hmm. She said, mom. When you get that dramatic, nobody can talk to you and it's a waste of time. So let's hang up and we'll talk when you're calmer. Mm. Clink. And I sat looking at that. I went three times in one day. I better pay attention. That's how you become aware of the patterns. Mm. So the drama queen, which I had learned as a child, and I I was a master at it. I'm telling you, Academy Award winning drama. (laughs) But it doesn't take you where you want to go. Right. I learned to do what the transformation of the drama queen or king is, and that's to become a good storyteller. Yeah, and you are. (laughs) Well, thank you. But the point here is I was able to flip it. So the energy of my dramatic points of view can still get across, but in a way that people can hear. 
not right. just watching me have another hissy fit as a grown-up. Right, right. That's beautiful, too. Would you say that drama, being a drama queen, your king, is that also associated to narcissism? Well, because I said I'm a drama queen, I'm <laughs> going to say no. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> of course. <laughs> but of course, in some level, it is. You know, it's it's yeah. it's, it's you know, it's this <laughs> stuff about the all about me, and yeah. you know, as I said, as kids, we do whatever we have to do to make sure that there's a tomorrow in our lives. Yeah, right. And some of us have have had to go through dreadful experiences, and I'm always awed by the power of people to take these experiences and change them and begin to see the patterns. You know, the yes. persecutor who right. was the person who pointed their finger and said, you're bad, you're wrong, you're this, you're that. Yeah. And they're usually pointing their finger at the victim who sits there saying, yeah, you're right, it's me, I've always done the wrong thing, I'm stupid, I'm not good enough. Hmm. And then what happens is the rescuer jumps in to say, well, wait a minute, he or she really, you know, had too much on their plate or they couldn't do this or blah, blah, blah. And none of those patterns work. The persecutor who points their finger poking at you can point their finger up at the sky and become a visionary saying, right. let's see it from a different point of view rather than me just berating you for what's happening. The rescuer, I mean, the, the victim becomes an explorer. And one of our rules with when we work with the patterns is that if you're seen as a victim, You need to come back to a situation, either in a couple's thing, a family thing, or at work. You need to come back with three options for change to happen rather than sit there because you, you, you need to take charge to transform that victim energy. And the rescuer becomes a mentor. And a mentor doesn't jump in there to do it. A mentor simply asks good questions which is what good coaches do too, right. you know, and, and therapists is ask the good questions. Yeah. So you have to begin mm. to transform the patterns. The 13 patterns are great. And if anybody is interested, they can email me. Yeah. Is it okay if I say my email here? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. They can email me at Sylvia with a Y, S-Y-L-V-I-A at C-E-Options, C-E-O-P-T-I-O-N-S.com. And I will send you a copy of the uh, 13 patterns and their transformations. Uh, and if you really want to go deep yeah. dive, uh, it, it's, it's in, in the books that I wrote. Right. I'll have the links to on the podcast page. Great. Um, thank you for that. So we are coming to the end of the interview. And I have some, I would say, three to four questions that I'm very curious about in general, about life and people. Uh, one of, of them is, how are you spiritual? Like, what are your um, spiritual practices on a daily basis? And what is your definition of spirituality? Beautiful question. For me, it's beginning to see how everything is connected right. and no one wins unless we all do. That's a big one. Right. That's a big one. And, you know, you, you get that from some of these great teachers like Thich Nhat Hanh, uh -huh. you know, like the Dalai Lama, like Ram Das. I mean, there's so many yeah. beautiful teachers out there. Yeah. And for me, seeing each person here on their journey to, 
evolve themselves to grow to the next level is really kind of the miracle of it. For me, on a day-to-day mm-hmm. basis, I'm a, a, a meditator, some days longer, some days shorter, but I always manage to at least take 20 minutes to do some deep breaths. And the way I do my meditation is I simply follow my breath. You know, I breathe in and think in. I breathe out and think out. And if my mind goes to something else, I just bring it back to breathing in and breathing out. And I think it's kind of a wonderful way to sort of center yourself. And, And I tend to do that when I find myself in situations I don't like, like, you know, the plane is going to be delayed seven hours and I'm going to miss a meeting. And what am I going to do about this? Right. I breathe in. And I- <laughs> good practice. Yeah. yeah. Good practice. And also <laughs> na- nature. And, mm. uh, you know, I, I yeah. mean, we could spend the whole time right now on what we're doing to the planet. It's so achingly sad, but nature My husband and I were taking a walk yesterday, and the flowers here in Northern California, it's been a very rainy season, but the flowers are breathtaking in their beauty and their their present. And we have some spectacular roses out back. And I like to go out and literally talk with them Mm -hmm. and thank them for bringing their beauty to the earth. You begin Mm -hmm. to look at how everything is connected. The world looks very different. Yes, appreciation, right? Yeah, I love that too. Hmm. Um, what is your definition of love? Huh. It's the willingness to explore who another is and to listen to them in their full depth of it. So there's, you know, there's there are many kinds of love. There's friendship love. There's agape love. There's sensual love. There are many different kinds of right. loves on this planet. And, you know, we're we're looking now. I think this is going to be one of the big new frontiers that is coming out. It, it it ebbs and weaves through lots of times, but I think we're ready to look at love as being uh, a state of mind and not a human being. It's, mm-hmm. it's not about you. I love you because you make me happy. Again, my husband and I work right. together, so we've been through so much. And I remember one day, again, I guess because of my drama queen stuff, I get more annoyed <laughs> than he does. He said, um, I'm not here to make you happy. I'm here mm-hmm. to share with you, but only you can make yourself happy, which I didn't like the answer, but mm-hmm. it was true. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And he said the truth in the way that you were able to listen to him. Exactly. Yeah. If you knew you were dying soon, what would you change or do? Uh, I don't know that I would change anything. I mean, I've been very, very blessed. I mean, one of my key factors, and I said it earlier, is about the adventure of life. And so I've been privileged to travel pretty much the world. I mean, there there are a few places. My grandchildren say, well, Grandmom, have you been here yet? Grandmom, have you been there yet? Grandmom, how did you miss that one? And there aren't many places. I mean, I haven't been to Easter Island, which I would like to go uh, and see. And, you know, and I love Brazil and I love Argentina and I, I've got to get out to Patagonia and, um uh, but we we have been able to go to so many places. And so 
is there any place I want to go? Whatever would show up, I would pay attention to. But I've kind of fulfilled the adventure. It's more right now an inner adventure, looking at writing another book, which is just, you know, for me, the way I communicate best is I I write better than I, I mean, I'm I'm a good speaker. I'm an okay speaker. But writing, thank you. But writing is my, my core place. And I, if if there's one thing I want to do, I wrote a book years ago called Taming the Green Lion that is sitting here and I've never, I've never put it out there. And it's the green lion in, in um, more spiritual terms is the young ego that has to be developed and grown or it'll be wild and, and, and unhealthy. But the Taming the Green Lion is, is the name of the book. And it was really about from the time my first husband and I split and, you know, I, I married for many of the reasons that most of us marry to figure out something that wasn't working in my own childhood right. and it wasn't working there. So we got divorced and then um, I met my now husband, Herb, and we've been on these incredible adventures, uh, really, you know, the going into Machu Picchu and, Mm. you know, bungee jumping and all the (laughs) stuff that we've done to put together the idea of how, how a spiritual quest is really there for all of us. I mean, we don't have to go sit on a mountain and meditate. We can do it in our own living room, if you will. Right. The book sounds really interesting. Um, sounds good to me. Taming the Green Lion about yeah. ego. Yeah, like that. And two more questions. Do you believe in some kind of existence after death? Uh, I like to believe that. Yes, <laughs> I do. I, I'm, we've, we've worked with, we've been so blessed to work with, you know, so many amazing teachers, but also, you know, in, in the indigenous world, we've worked with Native American teachers and we've worked with shaman in South America and we've worked with some gurus in India. So putting all of it together for me I kind of like the idea of there's something after this. Right. So so I'm going with it. <laughs> if there isn't, oh well. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, yeah, right. Um, so it's not a belief. It's just something that you would like to be true. Well, there's a very, uh, you know, I'll tell you one more quick yeah. story. When, yeah. when my, mother, my mother died of cancer and uh, mm. she was in her uh, late 70s. And she was in the hospital, and my brother is a physician, and we were with her. And during the end part of the dying process, she was lying there with her eyes closed. And my brother was telling me, you know, she's going to go soon, because he knew the the medical rundown of what was going on with her at that point. And I looked over at her. Her eyes were closed, and she had a smile on her face. Mm -hmm. uh, And it was the look of ecstasy. Wow. And I remember thinking, oh, my God. And I'm going to tell you the end part of this story because it's so dramatic. So my brother said it'll be sooner than I thought. And I said, well, I was his pre-cell phones. So I said, I'll go in the hall and call uh, the kids and tell them that we're staying here through the night. 
And I looked at my watch and it was 7.30. And a voice in my head said, she won't last past eight o'clock. But it didn't mean anything to me. It was just a voice in my head, you know, nice, but didn't mean anything. So I went in the hall, called the kids, came back, sat down. And we watched as, as again, as I watched my, mo- my mother with this eyes closed, but look of just pure delight. And she mm-hmm. took her last breath. You know, she break, t- took a breath in and a breath out. And I was waiting for the next breath in and nothing mm-hmm. happened. Mm-hmm. And the woman got on the PA and said, it is now eight o'clock and visiting hours are over. Wow. Amazing. Isn't that- Amazing. Yeah. Yes, it is. Uh, you're, you're able to know, your mind was able to know the future, uh, predicted the future. Well, yeah. it was interesting because that's yeah. what keeps me thinking, of course, there's more. And at those moments, uh, you know, where, where the thought of, oh, well, maybe in this situation I'm going to die, I picture her lying there thinking, sure, there's got to be something after this. Right. Um, but also, it might have been what you talked earlier, which I believe with all my being, it's that we all connected. So that's your connection with mm-hmm. her was so deep that you're able to yeah. know what would happen to her because it's so connected. My last question. <laughs> what are three things about life you know for sure as of today? I know that... that uh The willingness to see it as an adventure and to take each situation, even the worst ones, you know, the oh shit ones, Mm -hmm. and see it as fertilizer (laughs) for what's next (laughs) is is a good way to be. I also know that healing relationships within the family, because genetically that's where the connection is. Mm. Um, I mean, we need to to touch and and be appreciative of everybody, but the genetic connection in the family is a powerful one. And if there are unfinished areas that if they are worked on and transformed, life becomes much more brilliant. And the other is that we all are creative beings and we're here to use our creative energy to do good. (laughs) Wonderful. Ah, that was um, beautiful. Thank you so much, Sylvia. Oh, well, thank you. I want you to know, I have to tell you that I get quite a few requests for this. And and I, again, talking about intuition, I just saw you and thought, this is somebody I want to know. This is a special human being. So that's why we're here. Oh, thank you again. I really appreciate your presence. Thank you. Ditto. Where can we find more information about you, your books? Can you tell us again your website and emails or any other links? Sure. The, the website is uh, ceww.ceoptions, ceoptions.com. And uh, there's a lot of information on there. We're, we're in the process of uh, we're going to redo it a bit so you can look at it now and it'll be different, slightly different in a month or so. But um, it's a good place for the information. Amazon has the books. Uh, Don't Bring It to Work, um, I'm going to boast a little bit, has won 11 awards as a top book to read for you know 
various places and people and uh, I think they it was called one of the nine top books for all bosses to read but I'm also finding that all employees need to read it so it's won a lot of awards uh gutsy how women leaders make change which is you know right now it's it's purposeful because it takes women through all the uh times in their lives that that they've had moments that they've been able to make decisions that could benefit them or not so they could change what they're doing and the third one unique how story sparks diversity, inclusion, and engagement comes from all the work we've done where you can look at somebody and say, they're the enemy, or I don't trust them, or it's not safe. And once you hear the story, it begins to shift visually, even the way you look at somebody. Hmm. So those are my books, and they're all on Amazon. Thank you so much again, Cynthia. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah, I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Sylvia Lafayette, please visit her website, ceoptions.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. I want to thank the Patreon members, Lawrence McGrath, Mark Basden, and Terry Clayton. Thank you again for listening, and bye for now.